Welcome to a new episode of my podcast. With me today, I have Philip Spector again at Advanced Stats 23, with his username being something very outrageous about Luka Doncic. Um, hi, Philip. Welcome back. Um, so we're going to discuss a few things. Uh, actually, first I should say that I'm also having Stephen No from The Athletic coming on next week to talk about Chicago Chicago Bulls and Lauri Markkanen. And today we'll be talking about like the most recent stuff that's happened in the NBA, the Blake Griffin trade, Nikola Mirotic trade, Monroe signing with the Celtics, uh, maybe some other trade candidates, and then some listener questions. And I guess the big one is the Blake Griffin trade, and it's been a few days, and he's played his first game. What's what's sort of your feeling around that trade right now? Um, I think right when Blake Griffin signed the contract, I thought it was a, a damn bad deal. So I think Clippers were smart to move on while they could. The deal, especially in like the last two years or so, can can look really bad. He's dealt with a lot of injuries and even when on the court he doesn't he's he's regressed a bit as as a finisher threat he can shoot now better than he could before which is which has kind of given him some new found value but I, i think ultimately the clippers were smart to move on while they could and it looks like they're going full rebuilding right now which i think they should Yeah, there's definitely like a few different nuances, I think, of like there's like a triangle of stupid and desperation that has been interestingly filled, I think. Like you have to first you have to sort of separate Griffin as a player, like he can be a really good player and he's really smart and he's really developed his game in like in ways that most players who come in with his skills that never have. Uh, but and it's not his fault that he's getting paid 170 million. It's it's good on him. But the problem is that it, it, obviously it'll look really really bad in the last two years, and I don't think there's really any way out of it. Like even the best case scenario, you can imagine maybe Stanley Johnson starts playing well and they draft pretty well, and Blake Griffin doesn't fall off a cliff completely and is healthy. Then they'll just be like an almost playoff team that's really expensive in four years, and that's sort of the best case scenario. And it's not like Stan Van Gundy will be there at that point, probably. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of risk involved for Detroit, but at the same time, they're at the same time they don't really have upside anywhere. So I guess I kind of get them taking that risk. But I still think it ultimately is something they'll regret. Yeah, I wonder what like the timeline is for that. Like Griffin is a really good player still, and I think you, know, you get him in the East, and that basically like the playoff spot six through eight in the East every year will be uh, like if you're competent, you can get there. And as long as Griffin plays like sixty seven games or whatever, that should get you there basically. And I guess. They might be happy with that, but the downside is worse. I think it's sort of interesting that Doc Rivers, like Doc Rivers, sort of screwed up the Clippers in a way where they had Jordan Griffin and Paul, which was it didn't matter who played with them, and they were always plus twelve per hundred possessions. And all they really need to do was just get some wing shooters, wing defenders, and they would have had like a longer run. And It's it sort of disappoints me that the Clippers 
I really liked that team, and even though they didn't really do well in the playoffs, they could have if they just had a little bit more. Yeah, Dog definitely didn't hit on any like bargain deals at all. You'll see teams hit on at least one a year, and it seemed like he couldn't find a good small forward any of these years. And it's so strange, like when, like the level of. Like like teams like the Houston Rockets have Amba Mute on their team now, and like Amba Mute was pretty good for the for the Clippers, and and it's just they just needed more of those hits, and they would have been yeah. fine. Like uh, it's it's so strange that they like they sort of and the depth obviously was a huge problem always, and there were some weird rotations where everyone would come out and Doc would play all the bench lineups together, and it's it's. I really, I always, I'm like the last guy, I think, who liked that team and thought they could have done really well. Um, yeah, I think with the right role players, they definitely could have done a lot better. And I guess Chris Paul gets a brunt of the blame for dumb reasons, and Doc gets a pass, even though everyone kind of knows that GMing was pretty awful. Yeah, and there's like... Yeah, go ahead. He also wouldn't, um, what do you call it? They wouldn't mix lineups. It seemed like like lazy substitution just to put in all your bench players and not mix in your stars. Yeah, and you need all Austin Rivers. He needs to grow one and, and uh, really man those second units, and that was apparently a good idea. <laughs> and they're still like, they don't have their 2019 pick, and that's sort of a downside there as well and if they do start trading like I guess DeAndre Jordan I assume they're gonna trade him if they can get anything that they seem you that seems like it would really help them in the future I guess they're like on that path now no matter what they would say publicly I don't think they've really said that much but the rumors are going around Yeah, definitely. Do you? Uh, what do you think? Like, who could use uh, DeAndre Jordan? Who could use Lou Williams? Well, I heard. Um, I was listening yesterday on ESPN, and Woj said that Portland was interested. I think he'd help them a bit for DeAndre, just because Nurkic has been so disappointing this year, really on both ends. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I read. I heard that too, and. And I think that sort of makes sense. Portland actually has a really good defense already, which is sort of surprising. And they could, well, I guess they could use. They're playing pretty well. They 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 could use the like the talent upgrade basically, and to really get them to the next level. I actually really like that. I wonder what what they have to offer right now. Picks, yeah. I guess. And they have Zach Collins, who went like tenth in the draft. Oh yeah, but I, I I've seen Zach Collins play, and I'm not very impressed. <laughs> um, and what about Lou Williams? He could like uh, the Wizards could use like a backup scorer at least, and and the Wizards seem to be really desperate to prove that they're not just talking all the time, and 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 that they can actually compete in the playoffs. I guess that's one landing spot. Um, OKC okay, so can use some depth for sure, also. 
Oh yeah, especially now that Roberson is gone, like they can get sort of a different team. It's not like that team really needs another ball handler, though. <laughs> Um, I don't know, like, it's sort of interesting with players like Lou Williams and another player who's on the trade market, probably uh, Tyreek Evans, is that they're ball handlers, and maybe Lou Williams is sort of too good for this category, but Evans is probably more in it where, like, they put up big numbers, especially when they are on a bad team, but when you get to, like, a title contender, you really need to be careful about who is the player who's making decisions for you and handling the ball and like putting everyone in positions. And, and I think that's where sort of like players like Tyreek Evans and Lou Williams even more, maybe they help you to get to like 46 wins. But when you, when you really care about who has the ball in like a very, very, when the defense is really focused and when it's sort of a different situation where every play matters more and you need to make the right decision then I'm not sure if those guys who like score a lot really, really fit that mold. Although Lou Williams is like a pretty good passer and stuff like that, but if you get what I mean. Yeah, also the, Lou especially is a bad defender, and you, he's harder to hide, especially like in a playoff setting. You'll see teams attack him and pick and roll, and he pretty much dies on screens and feels like he doesn't even try often. And if you're trading assets, considering like how valuable first-round picks are right now, uh, when there's no cap space and 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 it, it's just uh, it, you really need a player who's going to help you against the Warriors. Like that's basically it. So, but uh, like I'm not sure if Lou Williams really helps you there. And if he doesn't help you there, well, then the list of teams sort of dwindles down to like the ones who are a bit more desperate just to do something and that's sort of a yeah. that's sort of a bad path in two or three years down the line yeah i think you said it very well that lou williams he's like the kind of player that will get you to 46 wins he can be the difference between maybe being a 10th seed and actually making the playoffs like as an eight seed but in playoff setting you don't really want him making the big decisions down the stretch. Yeah, it's sort of yeah. like the similar thing where the Wizards trade a first round, late first rounder for someone like uh, Bojan Bogdanovich, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, and it's like, yeah, and he sort of helps you in a, some way, and maybe you win an extra game here or there, but then you're out that pick, and you need, especially if you're a team like the Wizards, you just need to get... More than you, more than getting a veteran talent, you need to get lucky once in like the draft or something, or when it, or the right trade opens up, you're there to make it. And if you just spend your pick on something that helps you for a moment, then you you can't do it again. And you and maybe the average sort of works out for you, but the upside never is there. But you're looking for the upside. Yeah. Um, so next, maybe the Nikola Miritich trade. So the trade was Omar Sheik, Tony Allen, Jameer Nelson, and a first rounder for Miritich, a second rounder, and then the Bulls get to swap a pick in like twenty, the second round pick in like twenty, twenty-two. Um, 
Uh, what was your first reaction to the trade? Do you think Miritich will help uh, the Pelicans? And what do you think about like what they're doing right now with DeMarcus Cousins out? Um, well, he'll definitely help them. He's been really good this year. I'm not sure if it's totally sustainable how well he's played so far. But he's probably, what, now their third best player now that DeMarcus is hurt, which isn't a great sign. And... I don't know. They can still sneak into the playoffs, and he'll help them a lot. But it still it feels like just desperation type trade. We really need to make the playoffs. Um, our executives are maybe on the hot seat, and so we're we're really taking that last ditched effort, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's like they're they're pretty close to being safe to the playoffs except that if the Jazz play well and the Jazz have actually yeah. I checked the schedule and they have a really good really good schedule in March and if they get hot there I think that like can you I can just the the, the disaster it must be for the Pelicans if they finish ninth and I'm not sure if finishing eighth is that much better like you lose in four games to the Warriors anyway but I guess there's some meaningful difference even if I don't see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you look at the trade, Miritich for, like, you can think like Miritich for the first rounder. Okay, but the first rounder is actually pretty high, probably like it's a it's going to be like the mid-first round this year if it conveys, and it probably will. And then, but then, uh, and that's probably a lot for Miritich, so that's where... Omer Sheik's contract comes in. But that's actually yeah. quite a bit of money also. And then they're sending a second rounder out because, you know, the Chicago Bulls, LOL, it's just a second <laughs> rounder. <laughs> but, like, it's sort of a fine trade, I guess. Like, you get a first-round pick and, and you really wanted to get one, and if this was the only deal available to you, I guess that's sort of fine. I, I'm sort of surprised that they had to send out the second rounder, though. Yeah, that's very weird, but I guess they don't value it that much. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, the valuation is about, like, at least it's lower than $3 million. dollars. I know that for for sure. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because, like, Meritich brings spacing, but he's not going to shoot as well as he has. But then, and he doesn't actually bring, like, the Pelicans really more spacing because the guy he's replacing... The minutes he's replacing is cousins of minutes, and he's not replacing all of them. Uh, so they're actually like their net negative still in shooting from uh, from cousins being out. So and they were already they don't have it like many guards who can shoot, and it's it's not great. Like it's it's a pretty depressing team around Davis. Yeah, Davis has actually like become better than I thought like a year ago. Even I thought he was had sort of plateaued a bit, and now he took like a huge leap and and then just really like at everything. I think actually, but on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah, I think it's been said many times, but just the team building around Davis. All they had to do was just get Davis, and after that, just tank for a few years. Just get picks, do whatever, and then three years of being patient, and now you could have something... It, like, it couldn't possibly be worse <laughs> than what they have right now 
it's I, it's just so sad. I I find it so odd, and I, I don't understand how no one in that organization could sell the idea of hey, we have Anthony Davis. This is amazing. Let's just sit tight, hang on, and it will be great. Yeah, um, Greg Monroe signing with the Celtics is our next next topic, and I think the most interesting question here is, what do you think of Monroe as a player? He's bounced around a bit now, and he's sort of been, I, I guess, like, people consider him to be sort of a good player, but I don't know, I, I've never been really a fan, I don't know, what do you think? That's actually interesting. Which part of his defense do you think is not that bad? I have a I have an answer in mind as well, but I, I was wondering what what you're sort of thinking there. I think he sort of has like I think the positional thing is right and more than that I think he sort of has like maybe the same thing as why he's a good post player he sort of has good hands I think in a way I have to have to check the numbers but I have a feeling he gets some steals I'm not sure I could be wrong about that but he's not totally useless Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I remember some study from somewhere some years ago that was that it, there was like a correlation between uh, between uh, getting deflections and some sort of finishing from three to ten feet or something like that, and that would make sense to me. I'm not sure if that's yeah. true again, but I remember something like that. Yeah, um, to me, he's sort of like the reverse Aaron Baines in a way uh, that he does very different things and I guess those are sort of the minutes or the spot that he's going to be playing at uh, I guess he can play with Horford and they can play with some bigger lineups a bit and his passing is pretty good uh, he can make a mid-range jumper not really the long one but sort of the shorter one and that's uh, and that he can make at a decent rate he's just like a Sort of a homeless man's Horford, I guess, and but we'll see, like uh, how Brad Stevens, what he can get out of him, like Jerry Crowder and Avery Bradley immediately became horrible players when they left, so maybe there's some some chance there. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the Celtics have big men, like you said, they have Aaron Baines, they have Al Horford, um, they have Daniel Tice, which is. In the little I've seen of him, he's looked a little bit better than I expected. He looks like he can contribute right now. Yeah, he is. 
So, I don't know where Greg Monroe really fits. They're definitely going to give him minutes. You don't sign someone to just, for $5 million or how much ever they signed him for, to just sit on the bench. Yeah, but I think... He'll probably take Tice's minutes, I would think. And it's probably one of those things where Tice, they trust him in the regular season a bit more, but maybe they just feel like when he gets into a playoff spot, it'll be different and Monroe is, has played in the league or whatever, you know, yada, yada, that, that, that sort of thinking. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, they, I think they used the disabled player exception there and I guess they just had five million to spend <laughs> and, you know, whatever, <laughs> just spend the five million on Monroe. I don't know if there was really a better choice for them. Maybe they, yeah, there's the buyout market, but I don't know. Maybe there wasn't anyone else. I don't really, I've, I've never been like a Monroe guy. It's sort of interesting when there's like a trade and then everyone makes, a like points out the player's weaknesses and stuff and there's like the counter narrative and and it seems to be pretty strong because like Bill Simmons and Kevin O'Connor were saying positive things about Monroe on Twitter. Uh, but I'm not sure, I don't, I don't really, I, I've never been really a fan of his. I don't know why it is. Just something about, like, I know his passing is technically good, but it's not good, like, like in the way that, I don't know, maybe it's like a nuanced thing, but somehow I've never, I've never really liked how the positions, maybe it's just the positions he's in, and with the Celtics, there's more cutting and more open floors and better angles to use, and that's where it'll shine and average, like, 4.7 assists per 36 minutes or something. <laughs> maybe. Um... So what did you think, uh, one interesting thing we had this week since Kevin Love broke his finger was Dragic being picked uh, in his stead for the All-Star game. And I guess the other choices were Kemba Walker and Ben Simmons. Uh, who would you have gone with and why? Well, I think the obvious choice was Kemba Walker. I think he's been, I mean, I think he should have made the team in the first place. He's been amazing and He's basically the whole Hornets team. Like, you can you watch him, everybody games plans for him like he's freaking Stephen Curry just because of how the Hornets have no town around him and he still puts up huge numbers. Um, his defense isn't very good at all, but I don't think it's like Damian Lillard bad. And so I, I thought he, he's probably been a top 25 player this year and he's, he should have he made it in my book. Yeah, that's the same for me. I think he should have made it originally, and he definitely should have made it now. Uh, Dragic is sort of Dragic is a good player, and and he runs the offense for the Heat. But the Heat aren't really that good with like him on the court, and the Heat are pretty good because uh, their bench lineups are good, and they execute really well, and they've been lucky slash very clever in close games. and And I feel like if you switch those players around. Miami would become probably more dangerous and and I don't know if I think Dragic might do really poorly actually in Kemba's situation because like you said very well that it's 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 just much tougher for him and yet he still somehow manages to score and score surprisingly efficiently as well yeah I totally agree um how about Ben Simmons what um why wasn't he close I guess well, I think Simmons has had a very good year. 
but he's he's not been efficient at all. And his lack his lack of a three point shot, it does hurt Philly's facing. Luckily they can compensate when Embiid is on the floor just having that big that can kinda of shoot and teams respect. But I feel like his his box score stats and even his advanced stats like true shooting percentages kind of overrate his offensive impact just because of that lack of spacing hurts him. But he's definitely a really, really good passer, and his defense has been very surprising this year. So I think he's going to be a star. I just don't think he should have made the All-Star team this year. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's like uh, I, lots of positives about Simmons, and and it's just that as most young players, except, of course, his teammate Embiid, it's just it's he's not quite there and the impact on the game isn't quite there in the way that it will be in a few years and i think it's a lot of like the little details and really because he's such a strange player as well and and actually what do you think like what's his best case scenario because i sort of think like his florida game it's really inefficient or really really but it's like 39% or whatever like middle of the road bad and that's something like i feel like he like he should be really really good at if it's to work like sort of like it's the tony parker thing where you're so good on those short floaters or you're such a creative finisher uh that uh even though you don't shoot three pointers and play and guards go under you on pick and roll you can like you can still get close enough and when you get close enough Like because he's so tall, he has all the passing angles, and because he has the vision, he has all the passing angles, and then he can like finish tough shots over defenders, and that's and then just that works for him, and that's the player he is. But he's not the finisher that he should be uh, to be that player. Yeah, I, I think one thing he's really improved on since I watched him in summer league is his finishing has actually gotten better. Like at the rim, I'm not talking about floater area. He was actually struggling a bit in summer league. You could tell in traffic, but I think that's improved. I think he's going to improve quite a bit, but it's hard to say. Like, is this guy going to be just a bad jump shooter, or is he going to be like a total non-threat like he is right now? So that that's probably the difference between him being like a top ten player and just being good. Is if we see that jumper getting to maybe Giannis's level right now <coughs> even to get there he has to get it, it has a long way to go let's put it that way uh what's Simmons's free throw percentage actually I think it's like in the 50s maybe in the 60s let me see yeah I, I'm, I'm actually checking the same for Giannis as well Yeah, because Giannis has gone from like the high 60s to basically the high 70s in his career. And that's that's sort of the benchmark. I, re- I actually remember Nate Duncan did like the sort of big study on this on why Blake Griffin will never learn to shoot. And that was uh, with his, with Blake Griffin's sample size of free throws, no one ever became a good shooter because he was, when he started his first couple of years, he was at like 50, 50-something percent. And... That's what makes Blake Griffin's development so 
impressive is that he's really the only player ever to come out of that really like uh-huh. that area of bad and Ben Simmons is at that area of bad maybe nowadays because there's so much more emphasis on shooting and I assume like the coaching is better and they're like shooting in Simmons is shooting like a million shots a day compared to people in the 80s but but like that's a that's a statistical benchmark that I think only one player really in their career has overcome in a in a significant way it's interesting um yeah but, go ahead but but the thing is his sample isn't really that big yet so i mean if he's gonna improve you're probably gonna see it next year or the year after but so he still has a little bit of time to improve his free throw shooting i guess but to actually get a jumper like like you see Giannis pull up from mid-range all the time maybe it's not a good shot but he can hit it at times to to for him to feel comfortable there, it's it's, it's going to take a lot of practice because you can tell his confidence is just it's just not there in his jumper at all. He doesn't even try. Yeah, and it's when you when he like comes off a pick and then they like rescreen him and he gets the pick closer and the defender keeps going under and then you get to the free throw line pull up and that's basically where it starts for him. And I, I think that's sort of like good enough. It doesn't really have to be even the, like the long two. It just needs to be the, they're going way too much under and you shoot yeah. type of shot. I agree. Um, so we had a couple of questions as well from Twitter. Uh, let's start with the first one from at steady losing. Very good name. Uh, where does Shabazz Napier rank among backup point guards? He's had a really good year um, shooting well. Um, I have a couple of thoughts here, but you can start. He's probably in the top 10. Um, at least this year, he's been he's shot really well, right? I think he's, yeah, yeah. his efficiency is pretty damn good. So I haven't watched a lot of him, honestly, but... But the little I've seen, he's been pulling up from three. He's got interesting creation ability, just just as a self-creator. You don't see lots of backups pulling up like he does. So there's that, but I don't know. He, he's, he's not a really high level of, um, creator for others, from what I've seen. Yeah, no, he's not. And it's actually interesting, he sort of gets it he's actually gotten his points sort of i think when i watch the blazers i feel like almost under the radar even he's up to i think 20 minutes a game this season which was by far the most and he's actually like the uh, in an interesting way like the poor man's kemba walker where he's short and he started off his career in a way where like i remember when kemba walker looked like he would never hit 40 percent uh from the field and sort of shabazz napier had the same numbers first but now he's at like I think 41.2% or something from three and that and that hot shooting if you're just that good of a shooter and can 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 shoot that uh, off a pick and roll basically that's really really valuable and I don't know if it's real or not it's kind of hard for me to say I was like thinking about players like Delon Wright and Ish Smith who are obviously completely different players but like the high-level backups, and and I think Shabazz Napier has been that player for now, but I'm just, I, I'm still very skeptical if he is that, if he's a 40% shooter 
on pretty tough three-pointers, then he's a 40% shooter on those, but uh, I'm still not quite convinced myself. Yeah, I'm not convinced he's quite that high-level of shooter either, but I think he, he's done enough for me that I think he's going to stick in the league for a while just as a backup point guard with maybe some value. And that, he's that, probably shot over his his real ability. That's actually a really good point because I thought he was one of those players who would just be out of the league. Uh, like uh, uh, like his type of player shooting 38% or whatever from the field and 31% from three, it's just, you're, you're just out. You're not good enough. And I always thought yeah. he was just obviously in that category. So that's that's a pretty amazing improvement to like really cement yourself as a player who will probably be a, a good backup point guard or, or some a playing backup point guard for quite a while. Um, next from Bin Thrifty, um, can we say Pau has been a better Gasol this season? Uh, I think the answer is sort of no, but I think there's uh, an interesting idea behind here. Uh, what did you think of the question? Um, I haven't watched a lot of the Spurs this year just because the little I've watched, they've been, especially on offense, they're just not a fun team to watch. I, every time I look at their record, I'm just wondering how the hell did they do that? Like, how are they so, so much above 500 and you watch their offense and it's ugly? So I haven't watched a lot of Powell, but I have, I have seen he's shot decently. He's... His defense is still bad. I mean, it's gonna be bad till he retires. Like, I'm not saying early career Pau was bad on defense, obviously, but just right now he can't move his feet at all, pretty much, and so he gets exposed there pretty badly. I think. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if it's he just plays. I think in a bit of a weird way on defense, where I feel like he's just. Like he can, if he's in the right spot, like accidentally or something, uh, yeah. when the situation comes, he's actually like pretty good there. Well, if he like he's big and he's intelligent and all that, but I, I just feel like he plays defense with. Maybe it's just that he's slow, but it looks like he could give a bit more. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe I'm I'm wrong there. But what you said about the Spurs offense is interesting because I also had in my notes that the Spurs offense is pretty blah and. And I think Pau Gasol is sort of a good fit fit in that uh, mediocre mediocre style of offense. Where uh, I'm actually not sure where they are in offensive rating. I think they're quite that high this season. And, and it's like he moves the ball, he executes, and he's a great mid range shooter. Although he hasn't shot it quite that well this season, and he makes three pointers whenever he happens to take them. And and he just he doesn't post up anymore, but he can finish at the basket when he has the opportunity and he's just like a fantastic 1.02 points per shot guy and that seems to be like the whole Spurs offense at the moment <laughs> uh, like watching lots of LaMarcus Aldridge post-ups and LaMarcus Aldridge has played really well but it's just it's a different style of play and and they've it's just personnel I think it, there's just no way to have like for example Kyle Anderson I have no idea what Kyle Anderson does well, but he's in the starting lineup for one of the best teams in the NBA. And when I watch him, it just like he does good stuff and he gets steals every now and then, and he sort of executes well and passes well. But 
his shot shot is so slow it it just it's so strange yeah. to watch i i don't understand how like like i like some of the things like you see someone close oh yeah the spurs are 17th on offense so i'm not talking out of my ass but it's like i i don't understand how you can have a good offense with Pau Gasol, Marcus Aldridge, uh Jonte Murray, Danny Green who can't dribble but dribbles quite a bit nowadays and Kyle Anderson it's like really strange to me that that can be like the, like the fourth best team in the NBA or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's very weird, especially when you're looking at they have basically have two perimeter guys who can't shoot at all in Dewante Murray and Kyle Anderson. Yeah, and when when it's like can't shoot at all, it's actually can't shoot at all. <laughs> like it's it's on the scale of can't shoot at all and like the really impressive range. Um I guess another part of this question is sort of Mark Gasol's season, sort of a down year for him, not only for him, but like the team, obviously. Uh, what do you think of just the situation in Memphis and how, what Mark Gasol's maybe career looks like from here? I'm not sure there are going to be teams really wanting to trade for Mark Gasol anymore. Um, There's like 20 to 22 or something teams that have like a cemented starting center. So, and then you look at eight teams or so that maybe could use an upgrade. And then of those eight teams, how many of them are going to be, are looking for guys like near the end of his career who's showing, he's showing regression on both ends. His defense isn't near as good as it was when he was, I think he, Did he win a defense player of the year, or he got maybe first team all defense before? Oh no, that was the and, thing where uh, remember he was voted defensive player of the year, but he didn't make first team all defense. Oh yeah, yeah, That's that was fair. the thing. Yeah, I think it's sort of uh, well, well. I think his bad defense is by choice. Like I've watched the I've watched the, the Grizzlies quite a bit, especially recently, and and it, it is by choice mostly his defense, like. You can see the frustration, I think, quite a bit on him. And, and yeah, the problem really is that he's an expensive center. And an expensive center is hard to move. And it's sort of the thing where he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Where if he was in Boston instead of Horford, just imagine whatever scenario. I think he'd be at least 92% of the player that Horford is for the Celtics. Yeah, I think definitely a high percentage of just his play this year has to do with Memphis and how bad they've been this year, and he's probably he's probably tuned them out. And I don't remember exactly what the reports were, but there was some stuff about him in the media about him maybe forcing out Fisdale. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, and sort of being passive aggressive about the team's uh, situation. I think during the summer as well. Yeah, <laughs> which is sort of understandable. They, the Grizzlies, they haven't really drafted well. They made like I think one bad Jeff Green trade, like seven other teams have done as well, and 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 yeah, it's just I don't know what path they really had left. Like their players got old, and and Marcus all 
And since Mike Conley struggles with injuries so much, Marcus all just got stuck as the last man standing in a way. And the team should sort of rebuild, but I think they're also out two picks at the moment, so that's not good. It's just like a bad situation and then unlucky that the player that is so valuable is at center and getting older and not increasing his trade value at the moment. So it's just a messed up situation. Yeah. Um, and our last question from BS West 5. Um, most difficult prospect this year to judge. And I should start off by saying uh, I one of the, like, like I said, Michael Porter could, it's Michael Porter, right? <laughs> yeah, I think definitely. Yeah. We haven't had any high level. Well, I mean, I guess he played in the IBL, but against real college teams we don't have any information whatsoever and so it's kind of hard yeah my point was just that concrete opinion on him especially like his feel for the game and those kind of small things that are kind of hard to judge especially in like in the AAU setting or in high school games yeah my point was just that he could walk past me on the street and I wouldn't know who he is so I'm not the right <laughs> person to answer the question um I guess I can speak a bit about Luka Doncic, but who, uh, I think you've watched a li- at least a little bit more than me. It's hard to watch less uh, of these pro- college prospects. Is there someone interesting? What's the class like? I-, I have no idea about any of this. So, um, The class looks really good to me. I think DeAndre Ayton maybe is the second best prospect. He's like a monster on offense, but... His center defense isn't the greatest. He he can show. He can do the mobile stuff. It's just he doesn't rim protect very well. Um, but he, he he shows everything on offense. Like <laughs> I guess if you were to make a comparison, he's kind of like Carl Anthony Towns with a little bit worse jumper. So I really like him. Trey Young has been in the news. He he's legitimately. At the same age, I'd say he's better than Steph. Obviously, that doesn't mean he's going to go on the same path to being one of the Steph's probably on the way to being the top 25 player ever. So, But he shows a lot of the same traits. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is kind of like draft Twitter. <laughs> Everyone's draft Twitter crush just because he's so smart on defense. And he, he's a center who can shoot and can show a little bit of passing acumen but I think the class looks good but obviously we'll see in a few years um, the, uh, it's actually the question was most difficult prospect to judge this year um, do you have anyone in mind for that yeah um, I'd say Michael Porter Jr. obviously for the reasons given and I'd say of the players that played Colin Sexton is kind of a hard player to judge he doesn't have explosiveness but you see him get to the rim a lot and he the scan report out, out of high school was he couldn't shoot but he shot pretty well this year so I'd say he's kind of like and he doesn't really have point guard skills so he's kind of more of a combo than point guard I'd say he's kind of like the hard guy to judge I asked the question uh-huh. I asked the question again because uh, this is Well, I'll just talk something that comes to mind here. Uh, I remember watching the Draft Express videos on Jaleel Okafor. Um, and obviously that's not the most in-depth uh, stuff you can do to watch the prospects, but 
in 15 minutes I got the idea that okay so if he can't if he's not not going to be a good defender and I think in that video the point was that there was just it, it, it was just never going to happen I thought okay what kind of player does he have to be in the modern NBA because there really is like I hate putting players in a box and if you're good enough to at like Nikola Jokic has sort of a I guess an unorthodox skill set except that he's now a pretty good shooter as well but like Jaleel Okafor is just what does that guy have to shoot from the post to be a good player uh, or be a good offensive player in the NBA and that number is like 55% or whatever there's like three players who can do that in any year in the NBA like who are who are like one point something seven 1.07 points per session it's like towns right now maybe Jokic and stuff like that so uh I think that's sort of when you judge these young players I feel like that was such an obvious mistake and I, I I'm not sure if it was maybe the, the the draft class wasn't that good and all that but that's like you could see the warning signs there I think quite easily Um, you've watched Luka Doncic, right, somewhat, at least. I, I saw him in the uh, Eurobasket during the summer uh, in Finland, actually. And he is... He, I thought he was amazing. Like, he, he... I don't know, like, some of the stuff, like, how it'll translate into the NBA and if he's a wing or a point guard or what they'll do with him, but uh, I thought he was just, like, a genius player. Really just saw stuff that no one else could see and when you looked over the tape it was just just sublime stuff i thought he was an amazing player and and Markkanen was on the floor with him at the same time having a great tournament and i i think i in Doncic, i think i saw a different level player even from Markkanen. Yeah, it's just the one thing I'm sort of scared about him is that at his size, I guess I, I don't know what position he'll play in the NBA, but but he's like wing size, and if you put him at the wing, who's the best wing player in the NBA who isn't just an incredible athlete? Like if you just go down the list, like you start from like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, whatever you go, Jimmy Butler, you go through that list. And he is so much worse of an athlete than any of these players that he really has to be like the ball handler, like a like a two yeah. guard who handles the ball a lot and not be like in a sort of wing position, just like uh, like in the roles that those players are. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, I guess... 
we ran through the topics. Um, is there anything else interesting that you you're thinking about? Uh, that's actually on my watch list as well. I, I've missed a few Pacers games now. I'd want to catch up with them. Turner has been back, and at least the box score looks pretty nice, so that's good. Yeah, um, yeah well, uh, thanks for coming on again, and, and we'll uh, do this again another time.